Should wait to come out. That you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever. Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, August 18th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. And since it is Tuesday, yes, we'll allow him back. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. John, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. (laughs) I always love it when you're here. I'm teasing with you. So right before, you know, we started the show, we kind of got into city politics a bit, even though this is a national program. The Progressive Voices Network is everywhere, whoever you're, you know, maybe you don't care about San Francisco politics. But there's an interesting thing that's happening in this city. Um, I should say interesting. I think I, I, I feel like it's a horrible thing. Uh, which is the increase and rise of tech companies uh, in this general area has caused for a lot of things to happen, you know, economically, such as rents to drive up, uh, you know, food costs, transportation, even traffic is swelling up at like noon, you know, for all of those who, out there who, who don't drive in big highways and stuff. I mean, could you imagine being stuck in traffic at like noon? <laughs> Your day is like halfway done. Um, but, you know, you know, John, you host uh, Commonwealth Club's week to week political roundtable. So I know you're mm-hmm. you're very into the politics of this city. I, I, I wonder kind of, you know, your position regarding the rise of tech companies in this Bay Area. And as a Democrat or a progressive, you know, how do you deal with that and uh, the community in which they're, you know, they're upset about a lot of these things? It's it's the kind of thing where you you can look at it from different angles because it's not I don't think it's a big tech bad uh, you know if, if you got rid of them we wouldn't have these problems we have a severe housing shortage in the city we had it even before the the tech folks were coming in and that's because the city really driven by the progressive wing has restricted severely restricted building office space building housing um, and so then when you do have a boom of any type whether it was tech-driven or real estate-driven or whatever, um, you end up having severe shortages. Um, I think what's happening now, this is just what I think is happening, Not you know, it's not like Ed, Mayor Ed Lee talks to me and tells me this directly. <laughs> I think the city saw, okay, this is happening around us, we're going to jump for it and we're going to get whatever we can right now because we know it's mm-hmm. going to swing away. Um, and when you do that, when you do it fast, you do it, it's going to be sloppy and... You know, if they're making all kinds of mistakes, they're doing quite a bit that's good, mm-hmm. too. Um, but I think it's something we were not really going to even know all, everything that happened until, you know, after the next right. dust, bust happens and the dust is settling. We're looking and saying, oh, wow, that's really what happened. That's really what we should have done differently. We should have planned this differently. We should have done this differently. But, you know, California is a boom and bust place. It's not like, you know, where I'm from, the upper Midwest, where you have, you know, lower highs and what, higher lows? 
Right, right. Well, let's. You, you mentioned California. Can we expand I've it out to? Yes. Can we expand it out to statewide? You know, uh, ballots before the voting season began, or you know, when we actually have to vote on some of these bills. I I see that a lot of the bills are addressing, you know, what's a hot topic, and uh, we can even apply that nationally when we talk about presidential candidates a little later with our guests. Um, and that you know, some of these bills are are addressing income inequality, is with with healthcare, with education, especially Medicare. Um, I hear that there's also a bill on the California ballot that uh, will address um, being able to make a decision for yourself if you're uh, affected by long-term, a long-term illness and you individually would like to die with dignity. Uh, I think that I was, I was listening to, you know, the discussion around that um, this morning. Uh, what are your thoughts? And I wonder if this is going to be addressed, uh, you know, during week to week. Um, some of those things do get, I mean, this, the one that we have this week, we were talking statewide more about the environmental stuff and the roads and stuff like that. Um, I would be a little skeptical about any of those bills or any of those referenda, um, changing fundamentally. I mean, you remember the last big referendum we had on, for example, same sex marriage in the state went one way, the courts went another way, another court went, you know I mean? There's... There is no final word on on anything. Even ultimately, the Supreme right. Court can change something, and so then someone can posit another sort of bill a different way. Oh, politics. If you want to hear more of that, you can tune in Fridays at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time right here on the Progressive Voices Network because John Zipper hosts Week to Week, the political roundtable for Commonwealth Club. Right. Let's get our program started today and bring the politics and all on everything that we're talking about, especially the presidential candidates, uh, to today's program. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. During a rally in Seattle, presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders was interrupted by the co-founders of the Seattle chapter of Black Lives Matter. The situation created a nationwide reaction with some criticizing the strategy and then, of course, some defending it. Our guest today is Elon James White, who is an award-winning journalist and radio host, and he's the CEO of This Week in Blackness, which is a radio program and web series. Uh, he's been featured on Crooks and Liars, Daily Coast, Jack and Joe Politics. He's a contributor to Huffington Post, Salon.com, The Root, Laughing Liberal. Really, and he's also been uh, featured as a commentator on Melissa Harris Perry's MSNBC show, Black to the Future, The Great Debate on VH1, and so much more. He's obviously an awesome rocking guy. So let's welcome Elon to the program. Elon, thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you for having me. How do you find the time to come here? It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're so grateful. I might be half asleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Glad to have you here. I want to, you know, I opened the discussion with the situation regarding Bernie Sanders and Black Lives Matter. Let's start with that. Why was the interruption of Bernie Sanders' rally and speech in Seattle, why was it disrupted or, or disruptive or why was it not? Uh, I mean, well, it was it was clearly a disruption. That was the point of the action. Uh, what I think is uh, often misunderstood is that apparently everyone keeps thinking that this is all this is all about some big attack on Bernie Sanders when it's not really. Uh, and by the way, I, I say this not as someone who's actually a member of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. I believe that Black Lives Matter because. Uh, Yes, I'm black and I, I like us, um, but I also don't want to die in the street. 
So I, I just want to be clear on that, about the fact that I'm not actually speaking as a member of that space, but uh, as, as we were watching it go down, uh, the, the, the conversation has, ever since Netroots, when the initial uh, uh, disruption happened with Sanders and O'Malley, uh, we've been watching the conversation happen and, uh, and take off, and the conversation is more around the fact that the progressive space claims to be such a great allies of people of color, of black folks in general, and yet our issues aren't being placed on the table in the forefront, especially as we die in the streets. So the disruption, which was clearly a disruption, uh, I would argue, was basically it was one of those things where it was necessary uh, in a certain certain way because we have to get this conversation in the forefront. This has to be taken seriously. This has to be made one of the bigger uh, conversations within the the political uh, uh, space as of now. You say it wasn't necessarily an attack on, on Bernie Sanders, though. I mean, some of the words about him and about his crowd at the event certainly weren't um, uh, lovely. But uh, well, the crowd was a problem. I mean, I, I, a part of that, part of the crowd was definitely a problem. And you have a lot of critiques around Sanders and his actions over, over the past uh, a few months. Yeah. So, what what specifics would they want from someone like Bernie Sanders? Then, what would they want him to do differently? Well, again, um, one, I believe, uh, part of the issue is that. Uh, Sanders, uh, it, it took the initial disruption of uh, Sanders and, and O'Malley and uh, in Phoenix at Netroots yeah. uh, for Sanders to put out a comprehensive racial justice uh, platform. Literally, they put this, started putting that together after that disruption, which I would argue that if you're going to uh, launch a presidential campaign where you're expecting uh, uh, black folks to actually be supportive of your space, you probably should have some some, some platform around this it's, since it's been in the forefront of the news for at least a year now. It's, been, it's, it's something that's been driving social media. It's a big enough problem that people are literally screaming out, help us, we don't want to die in the streets. And everyone's like, well, we understand that, but that's like a single issue. Let, let, let us talk about these other things up here. Uh, and that's, part, that's kind of part of the problem here. I'm, I'm, my question, I guess, more is kind of, okay, so he, he cobbles together, uh, cobbles, and then maybe that's, Negative. I don't know if it, if he spent a lot of time thinking, or his staff did it, or what. But they put together this this uh, platform under or this plank kind of platform, really under pressure. Is it good? I mean, is it is it something where people read it afterward and said, "Oh, you know what? That's good," or "Oh, great, he's filled in that blank on on the thing." I mean, did, did it really do any good? Well, I would argue that the conversation was uh, is, is happening nationally. So mm-hmm. yes, it is. It's some good. The fact is that he did put together a comprehensive uh, plan. Whether or not it's, uh, it uh, does everything it needs to do, that's uh, that we it will be continued to be discussed. And whether or not uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, collective decides that they this is something that they would uh, would be accepting of, that's again on them to decide. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is that these uh, the conversation has happened. It's become a national conversation, especially around the idea of the the the, the uh, unwavering support that's demanded of of. of black Black folks uh, within the progressive space, and when we say, "Hey, but we have an issue," then everyone says, "Oh, well, you just have to calm down." I uh, understand where we're going to get to that as well. So I believe that all of this happening is forcing a conversation that should have actually been happening for years and years. This is not something that's new. Uh, the schism within uh, within the progressive space and black folks. This is something that if you talk to black folks who all work within this progressive space and deal with it, uh, they will tell you a lot about it. It's mm-hmm. a lot of this isn't a surprise. What I'm saying. Absolutely. Here, here. Michelle Meow and John Zipperer on the phone with us is Elon James White, who is the host and founder and creator of This Week in Blackness. Uh, Elon, you know, since the Bernie Sanders interruption, there's this um, 
there's there's this thing that people have been tossing around, which I think make a lot of progressives uh, uh, progressives uncomfortable, and it's the idea of liberal white supremacy. Um, I wanted to chat with you a little bit on that and kind of get your take or thoughts on it. I mean, is it is it too extreme? Because I think that if we historically discuss progressives and also the Democratic Party when it comes to racial issues uh, such as Black Lives Matter, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, we really do need to talk about liberal white supremacy. Absolutely. That's to be established early on in these conversations is that uh, when, when these people say white supremacy, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're talking about uh, there are progressives and liberals running around uh, skinheads uh, with uh, Klan robes on. That's not the, uh, what, what that means. White supremacy is just a system that, in fact, America uh, was kind of founded on and, and built on. And that's just part of how it actually works. It's part of the mechanics. It's like the sky is blue, we breathe oxygen, white supremacy uh, runs America. That's not uh, something that's even, like, said with judgment. Uh, but... Yes, within the liberal space, what happens is uh, that everyone feels like they have actually dealt with it already, especially after the election of uh, Barack Obama. It's like, see, we, come on, we, we, we elect, we, we've elected a, a black dude. Like, come on, you guys should be happy by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we possibly be racist. Uh, where, uh, where, where the issue here is that there's white supremacy has a lot of different aspects to it. There's a lot of different things, and you can vote for a Negro and still be, in fact, upholding white supremacy. And that is something that has to be dealt with. And the idea, and within the of the progressive space, the liberal space, uh, they will say immediately, "But we're your allies. We're on the same side." And I have said numerous times, I don't feel that way. <laughs> and the fact is that, especially as we say, "Hey, we're dying in the streets," and everyone's saying, "Hey, you shut up. We want, we want to, oh, we want to hear Bernie talk about stuff." Mm-hmm. I don't, don't you understand that he marched with Kane? That's cool, but we're still dying in the streets. And so right. it's it's. A problem within the space, and uh, what I think is happening now, especially with these disruptions, especially with how the disruptions are happening, and they're happening in progressive spaces where they, I guess, I assumed were they were saying that, like, oh, we don't have these issues. Now it's like, no, 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 you have these issues. You should really address this, especially if you want to continue having our support. And the reaction is telling. Mm. Yes, I absolutely agree. Thank you so much for that. I think our conversation is just about to heat up. For now, we're going to take a quick break. But Elon, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion. Yes, ma'am. The Michelle Meow Show continues. Don't go away. You'll want to come back for this. for listening to the progressive voices network streaming the best in progressive talk 24 7 keep the progressive conversation going on on facebook like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices on the progressive voices facebook page we update the stories that our hosts like tom hartman stephanie miller bill press and leslie marshall will be talking about during their shows and we share great news commentaries opinion pieces and videos from all over the progressive world always progressive always on be part of the progressive conversation like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. 
The inspirational Street Requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7pm at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco and on Sunday, August 30, 2pm at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com streetrequiem.blogspot.com Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us. And on the phone with us is Elon James White, who is the founder and CEO of This Week in Blackness, a radio and web series program. Elon, right before the break, we had mentioned uh, liberal white supremacy. I want to take that a little bit further and digging deep in kind of the relationship of, of Democrats and progressives and liberals and when it comes to racial issues. Bernie Sanders, you know, I've been hearing a whole lot from a lot of uh, progressive voters that he's a great candidate for us for a lot of reasons and, and that he was this, you know, he's an incredible uh, civil rights activist. In fact, you know, having marched uh, in Washington and being an, an, an activist himself, um, how do you respond to that? Uh, I, you know, honestly, I'm so tired of hearing about um, Bernie Sanders marching with King. Uh, I can't tell you. Uh, because that is literally the response every time uh, there was a, any type of critique put forward. It was like, well, see, that there's no real policy up or down before he actually uh, released uh, his, uh, his racial justice platform. And then it was like, well, don't you understand? He's the best uh, choice we have. He marched with King. Like, I don't really care if he marched with King. Maybe you aren't aware of this, but we're dying in the streets. Uh, and the idea that like the people have been trying to force Sanders down the throat of anyone of color who has said, like, well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not, I'm not uh, really on board with it yet. I'd like to hear some more. And it's like, how dare you say such a thing? Hillary was a Republican, and all of a sudden now we have to uh, attack everyone else as if anyone has said that we're pro-Hillary. Because I know for a fact that I'm not pro-Hillary. I actively stated that, hey, you know what, I would love to hear more from Sanders. I'd love to, uh, for, uh, that, that, uh, for uh, him to woo my community and to reach out and try to like, make sure to specifically like, add, uh, bring us in because our vote is normally just accepted. It's like, oh, obviously, it's gonna, you know, it, they'll go towards whoever's on the left. Uh, and that's why I don't want people, I, I don't want Hillary to feel as if that she just has the vote locked down. The big a big thing with uh, the whole black vote in Hillary, I believe, is basically on name recognition. A lot of folks don't know Bernie Sanders that well. Uh, and this is part of the overall problem as well. Sanders, yes, he's done, he's, uh, he's, he marched with King. He had some, uh, he voted on some things, and that's great. I'm not 
trying to badmouth him, and I don't think anyone is, but at the same time, he is not our great uh, uh, racial justice savior, uh, and his responses to things have been problematic. He's, uh, he, I know that uh, sometimes uh, the whole idea of him being a big curmudgeon is supposed to be like part of the uh, lovely, uh, warm things about him. Oh, look at him, he's, uh, he's, he's tired of the nonsense. But at the same time, if you're doing that, when people are actively asking for you to pay attention, he was actually calling for uh, a political revolution uh, and uh, as people were in a room calling out for a revolution around racial justice and police brutality, and he was yelling over them. That is a, that's just bad optics. That, like, you have to look at what's happening. And so, yes, Sanders is, uh, is le- left of Hillary, but that doesn't mean that he's automatically going to be the, uh, the best person for the, uh, the community and the best person in this, in this situation. And again, it's not about Sanders. And I think that people keep uh, mm-hmm. have to get that through their head. This is really about the white progressive space as a whole. It's about the left as a whole, and about the fact that it, these issues have uh, that have been uh, basically uh, a plague on the black community for decades has been ignored for decades, and now it's at a point where the left cannot win without the black vote. And folks are now going, you know what? Earn this damn vote or lose, and show us what are you going to do to help us us not die in the streets. That sounds great. What what specifics do you want or what specifics are needed to be done in, in terms of policy and, and law and, and other changes? I mean, a lot, it's, it, a lot of things have to be play, uh, put down uh, up front. Like, for instance, like a lot of conversations have been around uh, a police, uh, a police cameras, like the dash cams and mm-hmm. things like that. But at the same time, those don't actually uh, mean that these things will actually uh, lead to, uh, to uh, less uh, issues because we're seeing that we, people have dash cams, vest cams, and there's still people are being shot in the head while on uh, their, their vest cam, as we, uh, we saw recently. And so it's, it's, it, there needs to be a serious conversation about how we train our police officers. We have a serious conversation about uh, accountability with our uh, police officers because, like you said, there's still not a very clear way of even counting how many uh, police shootings there are because that's not a record that people kept. There has to be a, a difference in how we uh, our systems work as a whole. Like, for instance, in California, they just stopped uh, uh, what you call it, uh, I believe cop shootings uh, have from having grand juries. It's just something like it. basically the prosecutor has to go in and, uh, and basically would decide whether or not uh, to push this through. There has to be these a lot of different types of actions because this is not something that uh, happened overnight. This is something that's literally built into the system, and so uh, there's going to be have to be a, a very hard conversation about whether or not this our current justice system that we have is a reasonable justice system because for a lot of us it's not. And so, how do we uh, change that? Do you, have, what, do you have to actually dismantle the whole thing and build it back together? And I know that sounds big. The idea is like, what do you mean dismantle? But imagine if you were in fact dying in the streets. Imagine if you, uh, you uh, justice for your community was just something that was not really even seen as something that's reasonable to even expect. There is a lot that has to be done, and it's and it's not just something that's like you say, like, oh well, you know what, I'm against uh, the, uh, the, these shootings. I'm a, there, there's an issue with this. Like, that's great. So now what? What type, are you putting together a task force? What do you do on day one when you walk through the door? Is there a task force that is actively going to be uh, or dealing with or figuring out ways uh, to implement these things on the state level? Because clearly, we're not saying that uh, the president is all something going to pass these things because that's not what the president does. But at the same time, there are things that can happen. And are we seeing like a task force from Obama? Uh, after uh, the uh, Ferguson, the Ferguson Commission uh, came out, and that way they started looking at different ways of doing things. But at the same time, as we clearly understand, 
we're still dying in the streets. And so as a whole, as, a, as, the, as the left as a whole has to come together and all of the folks that have been uh, actively trying to, uh, uh, to push various different types of uh, uh, policies forward, they should be coming in and saying, hey, what can we do? How do what, what policies can we help to put together to specifically stop this? We mean, I mean, together as a supposed coalition, you would think that we'd be able to come together and figure out some solid ways in order to stop people from dying in the streets. I want to add to that as well. I mean, this is just a statement for me, but um, I think definitely diversity is so important. Diversity and inclusion, we hear that so much in in corporations and institutions, but yet uh, those at the top level are more than likely white. I mean, from the tech sector to even government, you know, jobs and leadership. And yes, the presidency, (laughs) we've had one African-American elected, you know, official. But uh, but at the same time, when you've got so many, even on the progressive side, even the liberals, you know, who think that they're they're moving forward and um, not really think about their hiring practices. When you talk about law enforcement, well, how can 99% of the police force understand black issues or Asian issues or women's issues if everyone's white, straight, and male? Um, so that, you know, that's just a question I'm going to pose. Uh, John, did you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, uh, the, the fundamental... Uh, disconnect in the system. You, yeah, I think you're right, Elon. I mean, you know, the, the, others have said this. I'm not saying anything new. Just, you know, those Oath Keepers, the armed white guys in Ferguson, and we all know if those had been a group of armed black men in Ferguson, you know, would they be alive right now? Would they be in, in jail? I mean, they certainly wouldn't have been, uh, you know, interviewed by CNN and, and uh, everyone else and, and talked about what a curious oddity this is. Right, you know, right. That's I, I, I want to. You mentioned Ferguson. I mean, this all came about after the the. It was the anniversary of Ferguson, and so Elon. I mean, what has changed? You've covered a lot of this on your show, um, and uh, and by nature, I should say, you know, you're a comedian. I, this is no laughing matter. However, uh, for you to creatively include all of this in your work is just incredible. Um, but it it seems like nothing has changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. Uh, well, you saw what was happening uh, over the anniversary. This this looked basically like Ferguson a year ago, which I, I we we were in fact down there and we were covering it. Uh, I was part of the folks that got tear gassed in a residential area where they when the police were specifically claiming that that was not happening, that there was only a couple of rioters that they were engaging, but everyone else it was a, a largely quiet night. Literally, as we're broadcasting live, cops shooting gas canisters at us and exploring around us, and so. Yes, you look at what happened this, uh, uh, with the anniversary, and it's, it, it didn't feel like much changed. Uh, and that's, again, part of the problem. A lot of uh, Ferguson became a buzzword, and everyone's like, oh, yes, Ferguson is it's a flashpoint and all this good stuff. But how many people actually came or decided to truly change how their work is done? And, and how to in, include uh, the issues that were brought up down there. Like when, when people start to uncover Ferguson, at first it was just like, oh, the city is on, on fire and the residents are a problem. And all of a sudden you started looking and it was like, oh, this is weird. Apparently there are three warrants for every household in Ferguson. That's, that's, that's strange, right? And so you have to kind of like stop and look at what's happening, what's the, what these people are dealing with on a regular basis, and what communities across the country. Ferguson was a specific point where it, like, it, it boiled over, but this is something that's happening within communities across the nation. The over-policing of people of color is something that's so natural, so normal, that our, 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 our mothers teach their children what to do when they're stopped by police officers. It's like, don't reach for anything. Just put your, keep your hands where they can see you so that, uh, see them so that it's not a problem. This is something that's literally built into our our community and our culture because of the fact that it is not something that's being 
dealt with and, and, and on a larger scale. And that's something that should have been, like, I would like to see a lot more coming out of this as opposed to just people uh, calling out the Ferguson buzzword. Like, what, what is your space doing in order to stop this? What is your space doing uh, in order to highlight these issues as opposed to trying to, uh, like, uh, change the discussion? Because that's a lot of places started doing that as well, but they were like, well, this is all about economics. And it's like, well, economics is a very issue, important issue, and I believe that people of color have been saying that for decades as well, but at the moment, what economics is not going to fix this problem. A job is not going to fix the fact that when a cop stops you and they you know, freak out and shoot you, and then you're, you're dead now. You could have had an amazing job, though. Right. You could have had wealth and all that good stuff, but you're still dead. <laughs> uh, and so this is something that I would, would hope that by now, like especially a year later, more, more spaces, especially on the left, would be more, I guess, more involved and more trying to actively address such a thing. This is why it was so uh, shocking when these Democratic uh, uh, candidates are coming out and they don't have comprehensive racial justice reform. And that's why it was so great when DFA came out and actively said that they were going to change how they started they, the, the questions that they were asking and how they endorsed spaces because of what happened with uh, with the action in, um, in in Phoenix. Elon, this has been an incredible conversation, and thank you so much for uh, making the time to be with us today on the Progressive Voices Network. We've got time for one more question, and uh, we talked about Bernie Sanders, so I think it's only fair we bring up Hillary Clinton. I know that she just had a secret meeting, uh, so to speak, uh, with uh, some members of Black Lives Matter. Or well, it was, the uh, it was videotaped. A video, yeah. yeah. And I, I'll just pull one thing from that in which, you know, she mentioned something about, no, it's not so much about changing hearts, but it's about uh, actually changing laws. You've got to change allocation of resources, change the way systems operate. Uh, very quickly, uh, you know, what about Hillary Clinton? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I will say this, and I know this might come to a shock to some folks. I mean, Yes, I'm, I'm, it's lovely that Hillary is weighing in on these things, but I don't have a lot of faith in Hillary overall. Like, in all honesty, the, the reason why uh, I've been watching the Barry Sanders space more is because I actually wanted to be able to support Sanders, in all honesty. Uh, Hillary, I find, I, 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 it's like the fact that she is, in, uh, she is a, a, a politician through and through, and I expect her to say certain things, but the question is, will she actually follow through on them? Well, what, what, what exactly uh, is she going to do if she all of a sudden on that day one walks in? What happens? What did she say? Like, what do you change? What do you implement immediately? And I'm, in an honesty, I just don't trust Hillary. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, I, I don't trust a lot of politicians. They kind of I mean, creep me out anyway. And uh, lawyers make me feel the same or anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I meet somebody and they, mm. I, I, when they say I'm either an attorney or a politician, it's like, run, bitch, run. <laughs> That's my feeling. Yeah. Hey, Elon, thank you so much for being with us um, and uh, taking the time again. You are wonderful. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for having me. Elon James White, everybody, you can uh, follow him by by uh, tuning into his program this week in Blackness. He's also on Twitter, and, and by the way, I should mention uh, he was voted best microblog on Twitter. So follow him on Twitter. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation regarding Black Lives Matter and also progressive values in the Democratic uh, <laughs> Democratic candidates for president. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. With us today is John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Our next guest is a nationally recognized journalist, also a professor, a hip-hop historian, syndicated talk show host, radio programmer, producer, DJ Media, another amazing, incredible guy, and also a community activist and here to help us uh, continue our discussion around race issues, black lives, and politics, especially when it comes to the progressives, the left, the democratic community. Let's welcome Davey D to the program. Davey, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. How are you? Doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm going to take a few seconds here and, and see if uh, we can get you to sound a little clearer. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank okay. you. You know, as radio folks, you know, we just all about, it's all about the sound. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to open up our conversation, uh, you know, with... Um, the movie Straight Out of Compton, and and there's a reason why. Right before the show, we we spoke with Elon James White, and we already you know kind of discussed Bernie Sanders and uh, the Democratic community and politics and all that. But um, Straight Out of Compton, it, it's it's interesting since its release at the box office, which was just this past weekend, has already surpassed over $60 million. So that goes to show you this is ex- extremely successful. It's obviously not just, uh, you know, black people going to the theaters here to watch it. Um, and, uh, you know, lots and lots of people are fans of, of Dr. Dre. But at the same time, uh, black lives are still, you know, Hello. being lost. Davey, you there? We're going to try to ring Davey back here. Um, but, but John, you know, just kind of my point here is that uh, what is going on with America? I mean, you that, know. That they could go and enjoy a movie? Well, Enjoy a movie, but, I mean, I mean, straight out of Compton, you know, it's not, it's not like it's a, you know, it's a, here's a movie out of a history textbook. This is, 
very much so very raw in terms of of uh, in the different intersections of culture here between hip hop and then you know gang life and then growing up you know poor growing up in Compton uh, these are some things that uh, you know some people are actually very uncomfortable when when we discuss it publicly especially politicians mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but you you sounded like you were surprised then that there isn't uh, like immediate action then to support uh, you know changing laws and such that's not how people see movies uh, you know people don't if there's a fundamental change that people need to make in their politics, I don't think it's that quick. No, it's you know? it's definitely not. It, and, and, any, you know. any more than to, to make a, and I don't mean this to be a distasteful connection, but then the fact that, you know, the Cosby show was the number one rated show for year after year after year didn't exactly help, you know, didn't mean that Americans had turned around and suddenly saw everyone as being the same. Right, know? right. I think Davey's back on the uh, on the line here. Davey? Yes, hey, how are you? Hey, good. I don't good, know what good. happened there. Yeah, yeah, no worries. So I opened up with, you know, uh, the I, I was just kind of making this um, statement that Straight out of Compton, it was just released this past weekend at the box office, and, you know, it's already... It's already surpassed over $60 million, so you're seeing popularity there and people enjoying this movie, but yet uh, black lives, you know, are still being lost, being killed, being thrown in jail. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know if you can make the correlation between people seeing um, Straight Outta Compton and, uh, you know, the love or hate that people may have for black folks. I don't think it's going to change policy uh, in terms of what, really people are up against, which is systemic, you know, uh, racism and brutality, a lot of it at the hands of the police. And that's really the issue at hand. Um, I think with, you know, two things about NWA, they were enormously popular when they first came out, and they weren't, and that popularity wasn't exclusive to the black community. They were a crossover group. I mean, lots of people liked them for a variety of reasons. Um, the movie coming out, uh, in many ways, focuses or brings to light the brutality of the LAPD. And so I think that strikes a chord uh, with a number of people because, again, black people aren't the only ones being brutalized by the police. So you have a, a, you know, you have a couple of generations and people in a variety of uh, different communities that can relate to that theme, especially as it comes out of L.A., so they can see themselves or they know people who have experienced some of what is depicted. So there's going to be certain type of resonation, of, you know, resoundingness there. The reaction to it is very interesting because you've seen the police have been upset about it, saying that this uh, breeds some sort of anti-police uh, attitude and that they've been kind of not with the movie. So that kind of just reminds me of, some of the initial reaction when NWA came out, they did their Ask the Police song. You know, it's almost the same sort of um, rhetoric, and that rhetoric was backed up with actual type of policy. I, I, I remember very well when they were sending fax uh, messages uh, to different um, municipalities, uh, making sure that NWA would not be allowed to perform the Ask the Police song in venues that the police were you know, watching or, or had some sort of jurisdiction over. And so, you know, there's a scene in the movie where they showed what happened in Detroit. That's a very true story. But there were other cities where they um, weren't able to uh, perform it. 
And that's where I was going with that. I wanted to address, you know, law enforcement and police and its relationship to our, the, our community. Um, John, I think you had something to add. No, I, I was just going to jump in on that, on that exact point, which is so when you have police and they're they're locally run and, and, and then you have, you know, all the, the local, state and, and federal levels of our country, where and, – and I'm just going to take off the table. You can't say everywhere because we'll agree with that. But I mean where – where is the, it most important to get people making changes with with police departments? I mean, is it do we need the strong mayors and and you know council people and and, and local groups who are doing this, or does it need to be done on the state level, or is is it best coming from you know the president and congressional leaders somehow agreeing on something? I think it's a little bit of of it all. Um, you know, in some states. You have certain obstacles here in California. You have a policeman's bill of rights, which is a big obstacle to any sort of police accountability because it gives them so much power. It gives a lot of, and it it doesn't allow for a lot of transparency. Um, For example, you can have a cop that has shot somebody and their names don't have to be released. And the perfect example is nobody knows the name of the six officers who shot those two women when they were looking for that rogue police officer, uh, Christopher uh, Donner. Um, a few years ago, there was uh, two women that were mistakenly shot a hundred times. We still don't know their names. And so that sort of law that shields the, the police is, is, is a barrier. Um, then you don't have anything on the books, locally or nationally, that would have uh, similar type of penalties in terms of being removed, being put in jail, or some sort of harsh penalties that remove you from the public the way that you would, say, a teacher. If a teacher does, you know, touches somebody inappropriately, they lose their license. Mm-hmm. If a lawyer does something, they get disbarred. But what happens with police officers when they do egregious acts that, you know, the public finds, you know, upsetting? Uh, they move to another department, and we see that, you know, case after case. And it's gotten to a point now where people celebrate the one or two victories, and it's always couched in for the first time in the history of California, this officer who did something went to jail. For the first time in the history of Florida, this person got indicted. That's, that's unacceptable. And I think, you know, when, when you see the pushback to that sort of uh, situation, it resonates again with a lot of people. But the, the fight is on all levels, national local, uh, stateside, because these incidents, uh, you know, they, they have protections on all those levels. And, uh, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of uh, solution. Mm-hmm. We were talking with uh, our previous guest, uh, uh, Elon James White, about the, kind of the wider issues of, of the criminal justice system itself. Like, because when you come to an issue like the Trayvon Martin killing, that wasn't a police officer. That was some self-appointed, that was some white guy with a gun. You know, well, so there, there are, yeah, we also then need to address, you know, sentencing and, and, and uh, uh, makeup of uh, juries and, and what other, other laws, I mean, stand your ground even. Well, in the case of, you know, Trayvon, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, what comes to mind is, is this, the, you know, this attitude of vigilante justice and, and people feeling that the law will be applied to one group of people over another. Right. So in this case, George Zimmerman was able to use the Stand Your Ground law, and then you had a prosecutor, Angela Curry, who many people feel um, didn't go in there and, and, and put her full weight um, behind the prosecution, so he was able to walk at the end of the day. Um, some of that goes on, and I think that you know that's an ongoing problem that needs to be addressed how we relate to one another. 
Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, what we're dealing with is this police culture that sometimes will breed over into, you know, just regular life with people who, you know, may aspire to be a police officer, which I think was the case with Zimmerman, mm -hmm. with people who feel that the police will back them if they carry out the same type of attitudes. And then you also have, you know, the, the growing number of quote-unquote hate groups that have shown up where, you know, one could argue has that influence been felt on those police forces and, and, and vice versa. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's complicated in some levels, but at the end of the day, um, the police is who we pay taxes to, and the police are folks who work for the public, and the police should have a line of accountability that we should be able to draw from their actions to, uh, you know, to the people who are, are victimized by those actions, and that hasn't, we haven't seen any sort of uh, progress on that. And we haven't seen a lot of politicians openly address that because they're afraid of police unions, and that's really where the battle the the, uh, the battleground is going to go. You can have a great police chief, but the police unions who have lobbied to get you know the policemen's bill of rights and other type of laws passed are the ones that really, at the end of the day, uh, control the uh, the scenario, and that and that and that's become something that a lot of politicians have been afraid to to talk about, um, deal with, and ironically, you find that many of those politicians that are afraid to really address it are on the Democratic side of the aisle, because some of these police unions are in many of these big cities are, you know, they're going to be supported or they're going to back those Democratic uh, politicians. So it's a, it's, it's a very interesting time that we're in, and, uh, and a lot of people need to have their feet, their feet held to the fire. This is so great. This is so great, so great, Davey. I'm going to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, we, uh, we would love to continue this conversation. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The inspirational Street Requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7 p.m. at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, and on Sunday, August 30, 2 p.m. at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com. streetrequiem.blogspot.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. 
After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us. On the phone with us is Davey D, who is a nationally recognized journalist, also a professor, a hip-hop historian, syndicated talk show host, and uh, obviously our amazing guest. Davey, you know, I here's, here's where I'm at. This is what I don't understand right here in this country. When we go to something like a basketball game, football game, baseball game, even some of the most, uh, you know, celebrated athletes, if not most of the celebrated athletes here in this country are black. When we when we tune into the Grammys or we tune into any music, you know, show, um, most of the musicians, a good number of them are black. We have all of these elements here in this country in which we celebrate black people and large corporations do it. In, in, in fact, we have something called, you know, African-American History Month. But yet we're still dealing with the, this situation. I mean, for, for you and in, in kind of what you do in your show and being a member of the media and also, uh, you know, focusing on hip hop culture. I mean, how do how do we how do you I guess how do you do it? You you have a conversation with with just not just your community, but obviously the community at large. Well, I mean, you try to draw common ground, and you try to re- recognize the humanity in folks. Um, you mentioned you know your, your opening remarks about how we have a lot of black folks that are celebrated in all these areas, and I guess what it what it implies is that we still have problems with race, and how is that? Yes. <laughs> um, and there's a couple of ways to look at that. I mean, one way is that the demonization and the brutality and the unfairness that many feel may come at the hands of an elite and not the majority. So, you know, maybe my co-workers at a particular job have no problems with me, but the boss does, and I feel the full weight of that influence. But that's just one way of looking at it. The other thing to look at is that uh, a lot of times in this country, people are made to be commodities. So, yeah, I like LeBron James as long as he's shooting basketballs, but LeBron James better not get on TV and start talking about Black Lives Matter. And when he did, he caught a lot of flack when he wore those T-shirts. Uh, it's the same way that we treat women, you know. There's a lot of women, right. uh, you know. I love uh, Ronda Rose, and I love the women's soccer teams and all these things. But at the end of the day, you still have been reduced to a commodity and somebody who gets stepped upon and overlooked and not included when it comes to serious discussions that will impact all of us. And that's, that's a hard thing for many people um, to, to, to shed. Some people call it privilege. Some people call it just being blinded. Um, there's a lot of words that you can put to it, but what it boils down to is the inability for people to sincerely uh, recognize each other's humanity. And, uh, and so, you know, the old saying in the black community, 
people love black culture, but they don't like black people. And you know, right. uh, you know, we love we love we love Michael Jordan, but don't let him marry my daughter is the old cliche. And if he does marry my daughter, he has to have you know the money, you know. But if it's somebody that's just you know regular John on the street, then it's going to be a problem. So. It's a very complicated thing, but it doesn't have to be. Right. Um, I think it really requires people taking those bold steps to um, to, 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 to shed a certain type of uh, privilege or advantage that um, this society has, you know, afforded people over a number of years and um, or decades or centuries, and, and some people aren't willing to give that up. And, 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 and I say that, and I pointed out, and really it was just kind of like a subliminal way or of, of, you know, sending a message to non-blacks, including, you know, uh, my own people, Asians, Southeast Asians, who were one of the last groups to immigrate here. But because, you know, our parents didn't speak English and we didn't have the jobs that, you know, we could get, uh, we lived in some of the poorest, you know, neighborhoods and whatnot. And most or some of our uh, friends were, you know, African-American friends, but yet, the Asian community will celebrate black people, but uh, at the same time, when it comes to the polls, when it comes to changing laws or voting for something for the greater good, uh, you know, I'm not sure they show up there either. So, <laughs> well, well, I mean, there's some, you know, that do and some that don't, but you're talking about um, colonialism and what that has done to people's mindset. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about colonialism, where you have this understanding that the whiter you are, the better it is. And then you couple that with the fact that what's exported around the world, um, what's exported from the United States around the world, is, you know, all these stereotypical um, aspects of black culture. You know, it might be through the buffoonery that is shown on TV. It might be through the types of things that people talk about. Because I don't get to go to Southeast Asia. Somebody who actually doesn't like me will probably do that. And when they land there, they'll tell, you know, they'll fill people with all the horror stories. And so by the time folks come over here as immigrants, they've been told, stay away from the East Oakland, stay away from the Hunters Point, and stay away from those black people. But the thing that I often remind people, those stereotypes go both ways. There's a lot of things we hear about the Asian folks that, you know, that (laughs) that aren't so uh, uh, savory as well. And one, one... can act upon it, and some and many people do because they've heard those stories as well. And so it, it's it's a way to keep people divided. And the trick is to understand how did those understandings of people come to to fruition in the first place? Who tends to profit from that or or have an advantage when you have two different groups that are marginalized looking at each other crazy and then fighting over crumbs? Uh, who has you know who would want to see? Uh, people who, because of their economic uh, 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 status, as well as the way in which they've been uh, conquered or colonized or, or, or enslaved, would have a lot in common. Who, who, who would benefit from having those, um, those, those lines of commonality erased? And it's usually an elite, you know, elite force, and there's a history to that. You know, there were uh, indentured servants or enslaved folks that came from Europe that worked alongside the Africans that were enslaved. But it was, you know, they came up with this thing of whiteness right here in this country. 
where, you know, they said, even though you're down at the bottom of the totem pole as far as society is concerned, you're better than these folks that are African. Mm. And people bought into that, and we've been dealing with that ever since. So, yeah, you'll have some poor whites that are living in the trailers somewhere um, who can, you know, that don't have any nickels to their name that will look at, you know, somebody who is black and hate them. And then you get this other phenomenon of the uppity Negro that needs to be put in place. Who does he think he is with his college education and talking all fancy and, you oh. know, and having a nice car? How dare he, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, ascend to society? So we need to find ways to put him in place. That was that mm-hmm. whole George Zimmerman thing. We need to put this guy in his place and let him know that even if he's rich and has a... Uh, uh, you know, certain types of status, he's still beneath me, no matter how wretched, you know, his life is. So that's, that's, that's a challenge we have. Do you think things are, and I don't mean to sound Pollyannish or even anti-Pollyannish, but do you think things are getting any better or any worse, or we're just focusing on things a bit right now? Um, I mean, is there any, is there any reason for hope here? Well, I think we're at a point in time where many people are at crossroads. Mm -hmm. And when I say crossroads, I mean, you know, I can step out my house here in Oakland and I can find a great group of people of all races uh, who I think have political understanding and have taken firm steps to try and, you know, make this world a better place. And I think people in various communities around the country can find that. But you also have, you know, some folks that are very entrenched in their beliefs and they want to hold on to that at all costs. You know, I like to look at, for example, the way that many of us have evolved our thinking in the way that we look at LGBT folks. So, you know, five years ago, we wouldn't have been talking about trans, uh, transgendered people the way that we're talking about them now. You know, there wouldn't have been that acceptance in many of our communities um, the way that it is now. And so even as we see, quote-unquote, progress um, in that community of people, you still have people in all our respective, you know, um, communities and ethnic groups that are still holding on. I mean, I just had a conversation with somebody today who was saying, you know, the the gay agenda is making all these black folks, you know, turn gay, and we need to do something about it, my brother. And, you know, and they have all the, you know, all the right words, but, you know, in my opinion, the wrong analysis at the end of the day. I mean, I just got off the, off a, a, a conversation where you're saying all these skinny jeans that the brothers are wearing are turning them gay, and it's because <laughs> of, it's, it's because of the, you know, all the gay folks. And, and, you know, and, and that's not unique to his community. Mm. You know, you still have churches that hold on to that belief. Oh, you, yeah. you still have people who are sitting lawmakers that believe that. So, um, so the same thing applies, I think, a lot to race as well. Um, there are some people that I think are very forward-thinking, but you also have a, a tremendous amount of people. I don't know if there's a majority or not, but there are enough that their presence is felt that are holding on to antiquated ideas. And, you know, some of them just going to have to be left behind. Some of them going to have to be gotten rid of. Some of them are going to have to be ostracized. Um, you know, I'm not going to stop moving. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't intend to have them stay in my way of my movement. So that's where we're at right now. And, uh, some and, people are going to be on the right side of history and others will right. be on the wrong side to their death. And that's why we need uh, folks like you. Davey, you've uh, obviously have been a mentor uh, to me very early on in my career, um, having followed you for that long. So thank you so much for all that you do and, and all that you continue to do. Thank you for having me and peace out. Davey D, everybody, if you'd like to follow his work, uh, get in touch with him, you can head to DaveyD.com. Wow, what a program. Yeah. Whew. Strong. (laughs) 
that's what we like to do here on the Progressive Voices Network, or at least the Michelle Meow Show. Um, you know, I, I, I woke up today and uh, I have been questioned a lot lately about uh, where I stand politically. And, uh, you know, I never really intended for this program to get political. It had always been a platform for us to share our opinions, our thoughts, our perspectives. Um, well, and people listening can't see you're wearing a Ted Cruz 2016 t-shirt. <laughs> So, you know, this is brave of you. to Or a Donald Trump wig, uh, comb over, whatever you want to call it. Um, But, you know, I feel that uh, there is not one issue that we need to focus on. Obviously, there is no such thing as a singular issue that the Democratic Party or our community or the LGBTQ community needs to focus on. The reality is that there are issues that we need to prioritize, and that would be, you know, lives people's lives, human life is being lost. And there's a target on black lives um, and there's a target on trans lives. And so that's my response. You know, if people need to to ask me where I'm at on, you know, should should uh, we push our compost bins out on Mondays or Fridays, <laughs> it's not really my, <laughs> it's not really my uh, priority. Yep, I think you've got your priorities straight. <laughs> Or or gay. Oh, very good. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. We will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And, of course, just to remind you, you can catch Zon, John Zippers. <laughs> Zon Zippers. <laughs> John Zippers program week to week, uh, political roundtable talk, Fridays at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, right here on the Michelle Miao Show. Until tomorrow, my friends, we'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.